This episode of the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is brought to you by Solid State Logic. SSL is a manufacturer of high-end mixing consoles and recording studio software. For over 49 years, SSL's products have been at the heart of thousands of the most respected, timeless recordings. Solid State Logic. Thank you for listening. And now your host, A.L. Levy. All right, welcome to the URM podcast, another episode of Mixed Crit Monday. I'm A.L. Levy, and with me is co-host John Douglas. Hello, Dr. Douglas. Hi, I'm back again. Yeah, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thanks. I have a question. Do you, uh, do you think that people who are working on these tracks and are total beginners uh, <laughs> realize how spoiled they are? Uh, that's, that's it, and question. I mean this in the nicest possible way, but holy shit. I think, um, I mean, I always ask people on the one-on-ones, like, just kind of what's been your experience with this and just to kind of get a feel of, you know, what their focus has been on. Um, so I'm going to keep asking that about the, nobody sent me an Opeth mix crit. This is the first, uh, batch of mixes of the Opeth month that I've heard. So, uh, we'll see how it goes. I'm, I, yeah, I, I hope people have a kind of respect for that because, um, I know for 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 you and me especially it's like this was a record that really made an impact when it came out and has kind of stuck with us over the years yeah. and um so it's it's really like almost the pinnacle of of kind of nail the mixing to this point in some sense Absolutely and so I'm thinking about so when people sign up this month they're getting this Opeth track and then they have the option of getting one of, one of the Meshuggah sessions for like a discount. And so it's like, imagine if you were just starting out and like one of the first things you ever mixed was Opeth and then Meshuggah. It's like, imagine if like, part of me feels like that's morally wrong, (laughs) but (laughs) imagine if like in, in 2003 people had this, if like how that would have changed the history of metalcore through the two thousands. If people, had already had some of the secrets in the, you know, if, if some of the cats were out of the bag, so to speak. Um, I don't know. That just kind of popped I, I into think my it head. Would look, I think the world would look completely different for us. I think so. And, I mean, the world already does look completely different for audio production now than it did even five years ago. Like, even five years ago when, I mean, you were making records together, like, things were completely different. Um, yeah. So just... So... Just and obviously they're going to be way different five years from now. So if it had started that much early, I can only imagine how radically more, I guess, advanced it would be at this point. Because I definitely do think that things are in many ways a lot more advanced now. And and like, we're definitely like um, I think the the whole thing of peop- everybody knows how to record at a decent level. That kind of mentality is actually becoming a reality and. You can see it. I I was reflecting on that either today or yesterday. That just that that kind of um, gold that that kind of standard that everybody has been thinking about for a while is like what's going to happen when everybody can record. It's like that's sort of becoming a reality. Like everybody can record and at pretty damn good quality. So yeah, it's a whole new world. Well, it's easier than ever to be passable or mediocre. I I don't want to say mediocre in a derogatory way, but like. I, obviously, it's hard, it's will always be hard to be great, um, but it's 
easier than ever to be decent. Um, and I think that that does change things for a lot of people. But at the same time, with that many more people trying, there's that many more opportunities for uh, collaboration. And it also makes the people who truly rule stand out that much more. Plus, I think that it's only going to keep snowballing in quality. Like, there, it's only up from here. Like, for instance, like, remember what guitar players used to be like when I, I'm a little older than you, so I might remember this a little more, but guitar players used to fucking suck when I learned how to play guitar. They are way better now. Even guitar players with their shitty modern vibrato and all that are way better than people who played guitar when I was learning. Or like in the early 2000s when I was starting to record. I mean, some The idea of playing to a click track for drummers, it was like really foreign to them and they were afraid of it it was like you were suggesting something insane to them yeah like how, and now drummers that don't play to a click i mean sure it might be an artistic choice not to use it sometimes but how often do you find drummers at least in our genres who don't play to a click yeah it's like, almost <laughs> unheard of yeah you get a gojira record and uh maybe a converge record and and that's about it um, but they could play to a click. Right, exactly. That's to. the point. Is the, It's the guys who really, their sound depends on um, depends on their feel in a good way. Or it doesn't depend on it, but it adds that extra 15, 20% of, of just raw aggression and emotion. Uh, absolutely. I'm thinking again about the guitar thing. So for a while, I thought it was a regression in guitar playing when the technical bar went up. Because I felt like suddenly everybody could sweep, whereas before only 2% of people could sweep. But, the, but some of the things that got left behind were um, playing bends in tune <laughs> and uh, vibrato that wasn't like really hammity and stuff. Like good, tasteful vibrato didn't seem to, it didn't seem to speed along evolution-wise like so, like sweeping or something did or down-picking. Right. But, I mean, now I think we're at a point where that stuff has caught up and just basic-level guitar players are way better. And, oh, yeah. yeah, same with recording. I mean, you look at a band like Polyphia, and those guys are super young, and they are, you know, yes. that, that whole um, style of kind of like integrating fusion into some of the more metal influences uh, – has really caught on with a younger crowd. Like I went, I went to the Polyphia and Chan show in Atlanta, uh, and the masquerade was packed. It was just, it was ridiculous. And the that's beautiful. The, the guy to girl ratio was not that absurd, which blew my mind. Um, it's like nerdy instrumental wanky music. Uh, I mean that in the best possible way. But yeah, it's it's great to see bands like that kind of branching out and being able to find influences that appeal to a wider audience and uh, really stepping up their game. Yeah, I, I think that that's a beautiful thing. And we're entering a time period where uh, music doesn't seem doesn't seem like so dreadful like it did for a little while. Like for there was a little while there where. Uh, I really was starting to question what the hell was going on. That time period when Guitar Pro started to take over. Yeah. You know, and players stopped playing, kind of. 
It's weird because it coincided with his technical expansion in ability. Like it's a re- it was a really weird time period where people could play less well but better at the same time. Like doesn't make sense, but if you were there, you would know what I meant. Yeah, what I mean by that. Like they could play faster, but they sucked. Um, it just hadn't. It hadn't. It hadn't like caught up. I guess. Like, and they, um, yeah, there's but, still a lot of of not so awesome stuff out there but i feel like we've kind of crossed a line to where um you know you go on youtube and find somebody playing a guitar cover or doing whatever their instrumental shred thing um it's probably gonna be pretty good if it's got like a bunch of views and like the stuff that people are watching is actually pretty well put together and i think that just kind of immediately um, raises the bar for a lot of young musicians who see that and want to emulate it. Um, it's no longer join a pop punk band and play power chords. It's, you know, learn all these shreddy scales and, and really master your instrument. I love it. Um, and then there's, there's two other things that I've noticed are really helping things. Um, one uh, man, and I swore I would never talk about this on the podcast, but just because, uh, just because all I feel like everyone that tries to sound smart about the music industry talks about this shit. But like the fact that streaming royalties are now a thing, right. and artists are actually getting paid uh, a lot better just recently uh, makes is going to raise the quality of music because there's a reward again. Uh, there, I think that for a little while, a lot of people who were very talented were jumping ship, uh, industry-wide, not just on the musician side, like business people too, jumping ship. Like one of the best managers I had ever encountered, like jumped ship and went to MMA, for instance, like 10 years ago, because uh, he didn't see the reward in it anymore. He wanted to get paid for his talents. And now that there's revenue being generated again, you're going to see talent coming back that had previously jumped ship that and also i think that a lot of producers mixers are finally agreeing that plugins and digital technology has come around the mm. corner yeah and we've entered the age where it doesn't matter what you use um whereas even five years ago there was a big difference uh i man and i've been on all these nail the mix sessions now where we we are actively trying to find if it really is better to go e- either which way. And like a perfect example is the Forrester Savelle session where he did the whole carnival mix on the SSL and outboard. And then we r- had time to just start shooting things out. So we shot out all this beautiful gear against the UAD versions. And man, sometimes the UAD versions were better, but uh, all in all, it was not any different. Yeah. And so it's a magical time period to where the technology has caught up. Right. I think. I was going back and watching the um the Taylor Larson Jason Richardson nail the mix and uh looking at the the comparison between the amp sim and the uh the real amps that they painstakingly mic'd up and mixed and recorded and you know, they're comparable if not, you know, um, identical or slightly even better on the modeling side. So, you know, that I think that speaks volumes. It's like that guitar tone used to be like the thing. It's like, don't ever touch a guitar tone with a digital EQ. You'll just immediately ruin it. Um, mm-hmm. And that and, yeah, that was kind of true. Yeah, and it was true to an extent. And, and now with, um, 
you know, I don't know what they do to improve the technology of these things, but with oversampling and all the other things that they've started to incorporate, um, it really does make a difference. It's been long enough. That's the thing. Um, it, time really does fly by, right? And so I feel like the early 2000s were, you know, it's just like close my eyes and then they're gone and here we are. But it's been a while. Oh, yeah. Like it's been 20 years or something since I first started hearing about these weird things called pods. Right. So like it's about time this shit sounded good, <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of sounding good... Why don't we do some Mixed Crit Monday? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So the first one, uh, by the way, if you guys did not read the title of this episode, we are going to be critting submissions of Air Apparent by Opeth by some Nail the Mix subscribers. I picked them randomly out of our Mixed Crit group, The Roctagon. These guys don't know that they're going to get critted and... Um, Best of luck to everyone. So, first one is from Chris Uber.
I think Chris probably plays guitar um, because this sounds super guitar heavy. It sounds like it was mixed by a guitarist. The rhythm guitars are dominating everything. But, you know, besides that, I'll just read off my notes and we can talk about it. I think there's too much low end in the kick. It just gets lost. The snare is too sample heavy. It sounds like a sneeze. Uh, dynamics are not well worked out in the transitions, meaning uh, I don't mean dynamic processing. I mean the relative volumes of the heavy to soft parts, which is a big part of Opeth sound. you got to get that stuff right. Um, it does get softer when the drums drop out, like when it's just like acoustics and flutes. But when it goes to the softer parts that feature drums, the drums are rocking way too hard. It's like the drums are overdone on the soft parts and not done enough on the heavy parts. Like you've got some opposite action happening as to what it should be. Also, ghost notes are getting lost, which is just a heresy on an Opeth track. Hearing yeah. a disconnection between the rhythm, guitar, and bass, and kick drum, especially on the groovy parts, and the vocals are just there. So that's what yeah. I had to say. I, I agree with a lot of that. I was going to say, um, yeah, the, the, the sub of the kick is kind of out of control, especially on the, the double bass parts, and there's a lot of double bass on this track. Um, yes. I did notice that he, he basically matched the level of the commercial mix dead on. Um, so, you know, that's not like, I can't give you extra points for that, but it, I mean, it shows that you have control over your master chain. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't sound horrible in that respect. Um, you know, I can yeah, quickly just compare between yours and the commercial mix, which is what I would do if I was mixing this. So, um, you know, I, I think that's a good approach to take. Um, and overall, I feel like some of the, the, the overall big picture mix like the sound is more or less there and it, it, I feel like you kind of took the song and put your own spin on it and I don't totally agree with some of the spin that you put on it but um, as far as like objective stuff that I was hearing um, one thing I was noticing is that vocal effects track and I think this is might be across all three mixes if not the first two that we're going to listen to um there's something going on with the phase between the main vocal track and that panny vocal track or that secondary mm -hmm. stereo, vocal, stereo vocal track. And I think you can really hear it if you uh, roll off kind of the low end during, um, let's see, here's a vocal part. Especially on the S's, like so many years. Um, where is it? Versus, and here's the original. It feels like there's something phasey going on in the high end there between those two tracks, and I think it's creating a little extra sibilance. Uh, in the vocals, so uh, I think you're right. There was something I didn't even I didn't even catch what it was that was kind of painful. But there you go. Yeah, and um, I noticed that when I pulled up the tracks, and I'm not sure exactly what Jens's intention or how he processed it. But since I'm hearing that phasing mostly in the high end, you might 
try rolling off some of the highs and see if that um, makes it blend in better. Um, yeah, I'd be curious about something you just said uh, a little earlier about the low end being out of control. Do you mind playing us an AB of the low end and the double bass parts between yeah. the original and Chris's mix? Sure. Yeah, let's do that. Um, so let's just roll off down to like 250 or so. I'll put on a 24 dB roll off. And if you if you're looking at if you're watching the video version and looking at the analyzer, you can just see right off the bat that this all this stuff below like 70 hertz is just a, a few dB too loud compared to the uh, compared to the original. Um, if you roll off even further, you could probably even hear really just the bass and the kick. So here's Chris's mix. Um, and then the original. Yeah, it's interesting. There's obviously a lot more sub, and we can kind of compensate for that by just rolling some of that off. Let's try it like 35 hertz or so. Um, but you start to hear more of the balance differences within that low end. So it's like on, on Chris's mix, I'm hearing a lot of, of the bass, the bass guitar. And, and and just the low-end rumble of the kick, whereas I'm not really hearing the punch so much of the kick. And I, yeah. I think, in general, on this record, I noticed that there's, um, maybe compared to some of the other nail mixes that we've had recently, the, the kick doesn't slam quite as much. Um, it's just not that kind of a record, especially on the double kick. It's not going to be that typewritery type of sound and, you know... Um, it's it's more of like standing in in the room with a drum set and he's playing double bass. You just kind of get a uh, a constant wash of 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 that uh, of that low end. So um, that's more of like a, a taste decision for this type of mix. But I think definitely think if you if you uh, kind of the balance, wrong decision, yeah, just just balance the the roll off some of the low end of that kick and balance the bass guitar and kick in that sub 200 area a little bit better and you'll be um in better shape uh the other thing i wanted to mention is just the like you said the guitars um are are kind of taken over and especially i found around like um like 500 hertz and 1.2 so i think if we go look around that area so this is around 500 versus the original. There's a few dB of a difference there. Um, you know, I think if you suck some of this out, you'd be better off. Yeah, it gives a little bit more crispy vibe. Um, and then the other place I was looking at is 1.2. It's kind of a nasty something there. 
So just two, uh, well, three changes. I've got a um, high passing at 37 hertz. I'm cutting a little bit at 475 and cutting a little bit at 1300. So here's before. After. So yeah, that, that, I feel like that cleans up some of the mids a little bit. Um, Yen's mentioned that his he felt like his original mix was had too much mids, and this has too much mids compared to that. So um, yeah, I would think about controlling that 500 area especially. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to the next one. This one's from Ethan Lehman. And let me just say, first I thought this was in mono because the rhythms aren't panned. But then I heard the toms go across, and I realized <laughs> it's, it's not in mono, yeah. but the guitars aren't panned. And yeah. so it's already at a significant disadvantage from the get-go.
Yeah, when I was when I played the intro, I was like, well, it's kind of an interesting decision to do it backwards and have the lead guitars panned hard left, hard right, and have the or not even I don't know if they were hard left, hard right, but the the lead guitars are kind of out to the side a little bit, and the rhythms were in the middle. I was like, yeah, that's probably not what you want to do. At least if you're comparing it to the original, it's like I could see maybe for a creative effect if you try to do something like that, but uh, not for the whole song. Um, no, it, it, it's <laughs> crazy, not. especially if you just like trying to um, if you just kind of ignore that and try. And w- what I did was um, I ran a match EQ on his mix to the original just to kind of get it a little closer to the ballpark and just kind of see have a starting point here. So um, I'm just going to do that real quick. Okay, so now that we've got, let me just A-B that against, uh, or volume match first, and then we'll A-B it against the original. So obviously guitars are still in the middle, not much I can do about that, but uh, flipping back and forth now. Let's go to the vocal part. Like you can at least, so if I put the original mix in mono, if I put both of the mixes <laughs> in mono, let's let's try that. Now they're kind of comparable. Um, so it's like, <laughs> what what I thought was funny is that you can get a long way with frequency balance, but even with that frequency balance adjusted to where you know, the relative highs, lows, mids kind of match the original mix, and you can. It makes it a little less disorienting to listen to, but you could still just be like, well, it's never like, it's never, even even matching the volumes, it's never gonna sound as loud as the original because the guitars are panned in the middle. I feel like that's half the, the punch of the song, you know? I mean, if you get all the frequency balance right and then just don't pan the rhythm guitars, like, why <laughs> do all that work? Just you know yeah. what i'm saying it's like just a, like let's do all that work just to uh shoot yourself in the foot basically um yeah all right here's another thing i noticed uh the, the so this song has a ton of extra instrumentation and arrangement stuff and those other instruments just they just pop right the fuck in nothing gradual about them nothing smooth it's just like boom suddenly there's a part like um and I'm not saying that everything needs to have this like super long fade in or anything, but like you like you can hear where the actual file starts. Like it's not it's overdone, um, and I think that there's a lot of weird compression on all this. Then that's why we're hearing it that way. Another thing I noticed is like for instance the piano. The piano is louder than the heavy part, so that right there is like your your uh, key indicator that someone has gone nuts with uh, compression limiting. Like, the piano 
should not be louder than the heavy parts. But not only that, it's so compressed, and I'm hearing vibrations from the piano, like, but I don't know if it's a real piano or not, but maybe it is. Uh, maybe I'm hearing the piano vibrate and strings inside the piano vibrate, and the vibrations are so loud compared to the actual notes that I feel like I'm hearing wrong notes in there, like minor seconds, and it sounds like he is making plinky piano mistakes, and I know there aren't wrong notes in there, and there's no mistakes in there. So the level of dynamics processing is actually making it sound like it was played worse than it was, which is quite quite a quite an accomplishment. <laughs> yeah, I think um, yeah, this song. If if any song on Nail the Mix is is worthy of doing just a faders up mix and just use your pan and your faders and as minimal kind of high pass, low pass, notch out some stuff that sounds offensive, but I, that's. That's how I was approaching it, and I got a long way with just a very minimal setup. I didn't import my drum settings. I didn't import any of my usual stuff. Just uh, put a little bit of SSL compression on the bus and try and mix into it and and see how far you can get. And um, a being it with the loudnesses matched, it's it's pretty amazing. These these tracks are really well done. You don't really need to do much of anything. And I was that was kind of my worry going into this is that people were just gonna kind of throw the tracks into their template and uh and roll <laughs> and roll and that's yeah. it's really not set up for that it's like if these were raw straight off the kit maybe but um they're they're treated very well and very carefully and uh they're pretty much mix ready to where you could just pull this up on an analog console and tweak a few things and do some automation and you'd be there so yeah I mean, you, 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 I think you covered most of it, but yeah, there's definitely like a big low end buildup. The the phasey vocal thing is still there, um, like with the last mix. Um, I think the guitar, the high end of the guitars, kind of got neutered. And it might just be a byproduct of the being monoed out. But I felt like, again, if any, if you're, if there are any guitars that come through nail the mix that you shouldn't touch, it's might be these ones because they're like clear as a bell and there's really like you can sweep around these guitar tracks with with an eq and you will not find any like white noisy sounding parts of of the frequency so yeah i mean touch it up and and beef it up with some parallel stuff if you want to but i wouldn't i wouldn't try notching too much out of this guitar signal or anything these tracks are presented on a silver platter basically um I mean, just another example. Uh, I can hear weird creaks in the bass guitar, like weird finger creaks that I shouldn't be hearing. Like, I can hear this rumble under the acoustics from just, like, it sounds like the wood vibrating. I feel like I can hear his fingers moving in the air on the finger-picking stuff. Like, it's so compressed that I feel like I'm hearing the air move. Like... So maybe chill. back off the L1 yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, just like chill, like for real. Like the, these tracks are engineered and performed so well with so much care. It's art that you yeah. don't need to do that stuff. And just balance it. I mean, even just look, a lot of this stuff you can determine without even listening to it when you pull the stuff into the session. It's like, look at the transient consistency of the kick track. It's like every single hit, you could tell it's 
already gone through some kind of compression or at least uh, it's been pushed through something because every transient is basically even with the next one, which makes it really easier to trigger. But it also tells you that they've already done whatever dynamics processing that they thought was necessary. Um, similarly, yeah, I mean, look at the, the EQ curves of some of these things. They're, they're, they're a little more mix-ready than you would probably get if you just stuck a mic on a drum. Um, so just take that into consideration. Yeah, and I understand that they took a very long time on this and were extremely perfectionistic about it and wanted it to sound exactly the way they wanted it to sound during the production process. So there, there you have it. There you have Our it. Our final mix, this one's from Marcus Stone. And, uh, okay, so, you know, have you ever been in a room with a drum set and the drummer is hitting the snare and it literally hurts your eyeballs? 
<laughs> like, yes, you know, I definitely had that experience. This that's what this sounds like to me. Like that snare is so loud that like it makes my eye it's like it makes me squint. Yeah, so, I, I thought it was interesting. Like I um, the whole taking it's like let's do an Opeth mix, but with a super like Taylor Larson snare or something like that. If that was kind of the intention, it's like, that's an interesting idea. Um, and congrats on making the snare sound super fat, but um, where is the ambience of the kit? And like, it doesn't need to be that far out in front of everything else. I mean, you throw this into mono and I bet the kick snare is just gonna dominate everything compared to Like that, the transients of the kick and snare do not need to be that loud. Um, even if you're Taylor Larson, that it's it's going to be balanced with the rest of the kit. And I was about to say, I think I think I think it's a disservice to Taylor. He does have loud drum mixes, but they're yeah. never but they're never wrong. They're no, and they've got plenty just, of ambience too. Yeah, and that's, that's really missing here. Is is if you just flip back and forth. Uh, put it back in stereo but flipping back and forth just listen to like the ambience of the drums like i can still hear your hi-hats fine but they're way up in like the 20k region now instead of being like kind of mid balanced and just roomy um so yeah i think it's it's more of a direct mic heavy mix and i don't particularly like it for this. I think if you took those direct mics as they were processed here and pulled them back in the mix and just balanced them with the rest of the drum kit, I think it would be a big improvement. Yeah, but then you'd have to fix whatever weird compression shit's going on because there's pumping all over the place. And once again, uh, and I hear this on these three mixes and also a bunch of other ones I listened to, the soft parts sound like the snare and kick show. Basically, it's like snare and kick with, with, uh, with other ethereal elements, um, and then suddenly it kicks back into the heavy parts, and the kicks are just gone. Like, why? That's not how it's supposed to be. It's not. So yeah. the the balances are very wrong. But I can hear ghost notes though. I can hear the ghost yeah, notes. Yeah, that, that's that's what so I was gonna say. Is ten um, points right there. Yeah, separating kind of like the process of of getting your your snare ready from the actual mix of it. It's like you definitely want to make sure that you're preserving those ghost notes if you're gonna gate the snare. And I, I you know I would doubt that Jens did much gating at all on the snare. Um, but if you're gonna gate it, you definitely need to make sure that you get all the ghost notes. And it sounds like he did. Like um, if we go to uh, what's a part like this part. like i can hear all the snare notes and it's, it sounds like it's not getting gated out unlike some of the other mixes that we were listening to so good job on that but yeah you gotta after you do that you gotta do some automation and balance it because those ghost notes are but that that feel is wrong though like it sounds like it sounds like the incredible hulk is trying to play this smooth like this right. smooth sexy part and it's just like not it's not right yeah, it's like get the gate right as one thing, and then maybe process that part of this, process the scenario differently for that part. Like, don't scoop yes. it out so much, or 
uh, don't compress it so much or, you know, bring, bring out some of the mid-range I'm, ring I'm th- to it. I'm thinking of Tommy Lee doing the drum solo <laughs> for Molly Crew, like, upside down with, like, fireworks <laughs> going off and shit. Like, and him wearing, like, the roller coaster seat, uh, doing backflips during this part. Like, yeah, while Mike plays an acoustic guitar. <laughs> yeah, it uh, doesn't go together. Um, so, okay, I have a question for you in terms of some frequency analyzer stuff. So I'm hearing the notes that the bass is playing, but I feel like the low end from the bass is kind of missing, uh, and it's not providing the glue between the kicks and the guitars, making the kick sound very disconnected. What are, what are you hearing in the low end between the two mixes, and specifically in relation to the bass guitar? Yeah, let's check that out. I, I was feeling like... Um kind of above that there was de- I was definitely noticing a build up in kind of the low mids of the guitars or like the 400 500 area um, like that kind of stuff but um, as far as the actual low end um, let's check it out Yeah, it seems like the, the low end of the, the kick is really driving the whole sub here. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you can immediately hear the, the, the balance difference between... So here's Marcus's mix. And here's the original. And you can just immediately hear how the in the original, the kick goes down and the bass goes up in volume. So Marcus original and the other thing is again just looking at that frequency analyzer you could see that the low end just stays more constant whereas you could see marcus's um uh, the, the sub downright around like 35 hertz and below is just kind of dancing around in time with the kick drum so that's really a sign that you may want to uh just high pass some of that um and and really just work on the balance between the the bass and the kick drum and how they interact, whether you're side chaining it or just kind of really carefully balancing things or automating it. But yeah, I mean, especially for, for something with this much double kick, I would say you need to be automating a high pass on there, uh, for the, for, for the double kick parts, uh, or, or use something like, I remember Taylor Larson was, was using some sort of, uh, tape saturation to kind of, uh, automatically bring down those parts. Um, but whatever you do, you, you got to take the performance into account and... Uh, get get the job done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. As Andy Sneap would say, just get the job done. So, uh, cool. I mean, that's all that I had to say about these songs. You got anything else? Uh, the only other thing I was going to say about this one was um, more in the high end. Let's take a look at that real quick. I think it's the guitars up in this like three, three K, three point five K. May want to look at notching that a little bit, but yeah, just flipping back and forth, the guitars sound a little bit crispy up in that three K area. And then the other thing is, I'm I'm hearing like. 
I think I mentioned this before, but um, every time the hi-hat gets hit, there's like a 20K spike. So watch out for that. That's pretty common depending on— Be nice on, to your dog. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, watch that that bullet for my Valentine nail the mix or the Polyphia nail the mix if you want kind of a master class in getting rid of the crap in your cymbals. Because that's that's really the goal here is is retain all this the shimmery magic and get rid of the white noise and uh, it'll it'll make your pets much happier. Absolutely, and that's after all what we're doing this for. That's that's why we're here. <laughs> so, uh, all right. Well, thank you for um, co-hosting. Thank this you has for having me. Been my pleasure. This has been another episode of Mix Crit Monday on the URM Podcast. See you later. See you guys. To get in touch with the URM podcast, visit urm.com slash podcast and subscribe today.